Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Say something. Say what you want to say. Say what you want to say. Nothing. Your Twitter account is great. I do follow you on Twitter now. So. <laughs> I actually think I have a... Oh, are we live? <laughs> yes. Well, welcome to Wissonar. <laughs> there we go. Um, hey, by the way, how was the uh, Tennessee-Florida game? Not great. This, uh, we were it, talking about that last week. It was uh, not great. Well, that's all right. I, uh, I was rooting for you. I guess I was rooting for Tennessee, too, because I was rooting for you. But I don't really have a dog in the fight. Yeah. But sure, I'm a modder. Yeah. Sorry, the Florida one. Is that is there a lot of trash talking between you and the fam? No, not really. We're over it. We're good? Yeah. Okay, well, that's good. Well, um, today, a couple of things we're going to hit on. Uh, we are going to get to the strike and really what that's impacting with the auto strike. Um, not a ton there, but some things to watch. Yeah. Um, we're also going to take a look at... Now that we're a couple weeks removed from Labor Day, what's the impact been to the truckload markets? And I, you're wrong. That's what you're gonna say. Well, ah. You are you're wrong. <laughs> just just it's okay to admit it. It's uh, it's a little a little hot in here, isn't it? The pressure's <laughs> intensifying. It's a little, little little toasty in here. Uh, what I was trying to say is um, that you were more correct. <laughs> I was I was trying to be optimistic. Okay, I was yeah. trying to give the people something to root for. Yeah, I mean I don't blame you, but yeah, the different. Yeah, I know, no, you, but it's true. It's coming down a little bit. It's yeah. coming down a little bit. And if you looked at what the forecast was, it, yeah. it's forecasting it to come down after the yeah, holiday. yeah, it's come down a little later. But you start looking at that forecast now. A lot of it's due to reefer too, because we, we've seen the yeah. reefer markets take a big, big, big poop. Well, yeah, they've gone from ten percent back to eight percent or whatever. But I, I, mean, I think it's even lower now. Yeah, uh, six. I think is what I saw this morning, right? Six and a half, something like that. Either but, way, but and yes, I think one of the interesting things, especially when we talk about the NTI, is the skew towards dry van. And if you would have just looked at dry van rejection rates, yeah. independent of actual rejection, like. Instead of Otri as a whole, looking at just the van side, they never peaked out. I think they might have touched 4% one, like one day, and now they're back on the decline. So, I mean, you're still talking an environment where 96% contract compliance, your most of any positive sign on the Otri side was driven by the reefer market. It's come back down to earth, and... Some of that's seasonal, right? I mean, look yeah. at the areas that were popping up. You've got Pendleton, Oregon, Twin Falls, Idaho. Uh, a little bit Minneapolis. Minneapolis, Milwaukee. Like Green Bay. The more northern areas that are last to... I mean, if you were to think as the year goes, produce, and in this case, it's different things, right? I mean, 
it's not quite apple season yet, but it's approaching, it's right? But you've got potatoes, you've got, and those don't necessarily have to go reefer, but I mean, it's something that can help tighten the market. Barley, hops, and, and I mean, what is Milwaukee like known for, right? I mean, their baseball team's named the Brewers for a reason. Yeah. So, I mean, you just kind of think about some of these trends and it's okay we're past this like seasonal blip then you factor in that labor day was around that too and you're in a market that's more niche and so it can tighten faster and more aggressively Uh, i think that was what i was looking for was how aggressive was the movement across all modes and the drive-in market just didn't budge with labor day and i think that's kind of telling that we'll see where it goes but like to your point that it doesn't where it's at right now does not make it look like contract rates are going to be below spot spot rates are going to be above contract price i may not but i will say this one one maybe sign of hope for the the drive-in markets is that volumes have been steady and are still inching right they're inching right um in fact i was actually looking at them today on a one-year chart they're only down about two percent from where they were this time last year now obviously we had already softened this time last year from our highs we know we understand that but it's the difference is now we're we're kind of meeting we're headed up towards it as opposed to this time we were falling yeah no i think that is that is a positive i think the kicker is there's just too still too much capacity yeah and and we're going to look at that, too. Yeah. We're going to look at trucks leaving the market. And I saw a post on LinkedIn, like, talking about it. That's a carrier friend shutting down with, I mean, they had four trucks. And, yes, we talk about it, the market needing to tighten. And, I mean, these are people's livelihoods that ultimately we're talking about having to basically close up shop and, mm. and figure out something else to do. So it, it's hard to talk about it, but it's a, it's the it's what happens in a cyclical uh, industry, right? I mean, look at oil and gas, for instance. Like, they go through layoffs all the time, and they shut down those operations all the time based on the cyclical environment. It's Trucking is no different, and, yeah. and freight in general is no different. I think the difference is there's so many of those small fleets that it's it's not like you see layoffs of i mean you do right i mean we talk about it freight waves covers it right laying off 10 percent of your workforce being a thousand people or whatever but it when we're talking about churning capacity it's not those jobs it's the actual driver the actual truck that we have to basically lose it's not the back office employees that's an easy cost-cutting measure for carriers to make or brokers or anybody but that's not what firms the market up. It's reducing the number of trucks on the road is what firms the market up. And I think that's where it's so difficult because, again, you're having a conversation about effectively saying people are going to go out of business and exit the market yeah. in a way that it you kind of, you don't feel like it's just something that has to happen. It's you, It kind of loses the human element and... Again, it's it's one of those things. It's got to happen, though. I mean, uh, yeah. If anybody wants to make it, anybody wants to survive, it has to happen, or not to, but to the market to go back up, that has to happen. And right. I think that's the 
the part to remember. Yeah, and and I think we're we're we're, we're going to see it. Yeah, it's just a matter of when and how quickly. Mm-hmm. The the thing that folks are focused on immediately, right? So you see that that volume trend. To me, that that speaks that the market is actually healthy long term from a demand perspective. Mm-hmm. There is growth. There is natural organic growth in the yeah. market, right? But to your point capacity is driven things down and if we go let's go ahead and throw up our first chart at the nti so the nti great index it's the national truckload index we have this on a year-to-date chart right here mm-hmm. sitting at 228 a mile that's all in that includes yeah. the fuel that's everything that's the the, the whole shebang will we get up to 232 a mile i think so i mean so we got up to the fourth of july peak and I mean, really, the question is, are, are we just going to go hang out around that 224 range again like we were for so long? It sure feels that way. I mean, it doesn't feel like there. I mean, the only benefit would be that you start looking into October and you've got things to help drive demand. But the market's got a, I mean, ultimately, rates are a product of supply and demand, not the other way around. Right. right? Rates are nothing more than an advertising mechanism to let folks know how much we need capacity. Yes. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a great way to put it because it's, again, it's the outcome of And this is where you could teach an economics 101 class by understanding yes, the fundamentals of the truckload market, because it is pricing is set by supply and demand coming into an agreement at a certain level. Now, the difference is they're rarely at that level of what the equilibrium place should be, right? Yeah. I mean, on the it, way it, up and on the way down. It changes on a, it changes on a day-to-day yeah. basis too, right? Because just because it's balanced today, well, when a truck leaves and we have more demand, if we're not backfilling that truck in here, well, now we're undersupplied, right? So it, it plays out on a day-to-day basis that you never actually come to this equilibrium but i think it's one of the perfect examples if you're trying to learn how a market how supply and demand affect the price and the price alone because again there that's what it's it's a product of the supply and demand trucking and transportation as a whole is the perfect place to learn that so i don't know if everybody here heard it but what tony said is that i could teach economics 101 so basically, I'm an economist, um, Warren Buffett, and that's uh, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you. That's what I need to hear. But no, absolutely correct, right? I mean, it's the perfect it's the perfect supply and demand, right? And this is this is what we talk about, right? There's sometimes there's this conversation: is trucking a commodity? It's 100% a commodity, right? Now you might argue that well, no, these are people; these are real people. No, no, nobody's disagreeing yeah, with that fact. That's the service aspect. That's the service aspect, right? And people say it's relationship driven. Totally agree. Yep. But that relationship only works if you have an asset and there's a shipment that needs to go on that asset a yeah. good that needs to go on the asset that's the commodity yep. right yeah right it's no different right it's the same thing right in oil right oil is 100 a commodity nobody would argue with that yeah. there's service in that there's relationships between mm-hmm. who are you going to supply from who are you going to buy from yeah. same in farming with no difference yeah yeah i think the interesting one and this is a conversation i've had recently and maybe why index link contracts are are so big and why it should be a focus that it, it moves discussions away from pricing. Yeah. It moves it more to service. It yeah. moves the RFP away from what is the price? Well, if both parties know what the price is going to be or it's reactive to the market, then you're, you're basing your decision on 
not just pr- uh, not on pricing because it's going to fluctuate as the market moves, but on service. And I think that's the important. That's where the relationship part comes in. Agreed. Right? It comes into the service component, which becomes even more important when you index link a contract because you're effectively you work out the agreement, right? Shipper and carrier work out the agreement that hey, this is the index. And we're going to pay ten cents above it at all times. Index goes up. Your, so does your rate by the same amount, and you know what it's going to be, roughly. But it protects you, but as long as your service, it, it makes that service component just that much more important. It allows you to yeah. build that deeper relationship. So long as, you're, so long as you have the OTIF that we require, so long as you're uh, accepting all the tenders that we give to you, so long as you know, you're on time and full, right? You know, the shipper, The shipper customer is going to be ecstatic because they know they're getting a fair market price stability there yeah exactly they're getting a fair market price they're getting the service required they're not having to go out and buy capacity when the market turns and i think this is the important part when the market turns it and i say this from a broker perspective too right why it's important from a brokerage perspective think of it as a buy side and sell side right they buy capacity they sell capacity to shippers they buy capacity in the open market. If they're index linking a contract, their sell side moves with the market. Well, their buy side's moving with the market too. But so from their perspective, they're protecting a margin, but the other impact, if they don't do it, right? What side moves faster? When the market market goes up, what side moves faster? Buy side. Yeah, exactly. So what happens in that instance? If you're the shipper, you're, you're saving money. If you're the, well, Hypothetically. Well, hold on. When the market, eventually your price eventually, is eventually your price is going to go up. What, the, the, shippers, the shipper tends to always be behind the market because if prices are go up, let's say you're working with a broker, right? Mm-hmm. Prices are going up, they're paying carriers more. So they're eating that initially and they're like, well, shoot, we need to, well, and yes, it, we need to charge more. Correct. So oftentimes what will happen is they'll say, hey, we need to renegotiate contracts. Yeah. And they, they have to go through this tedious RFP tedious process. Tedious RFP process. They might even overshoot and go too high. We saw that happen a while, right? Contract yeah. rates took a long time for them to fall. Yeah. And then when rates fall. Yeah. So from the, yeah, it, it's a lot slower for them to come back down. So from a broker perspective, their margins get squeezed on the initial upside. Yeah. But if they're index leaking a contract with their shipper customer, it's moving with the market. That margin can stay where it needs to stay. And say you're a billion dollar brokerage. If you saved one, if your margin saved by 1%, it's $10 million. Seems pretty healthy. I'll I'll take $10 million. I mean, yeah, I mean, it just, and that's, you can make these changes and it's conversations to have, but I think that's the important part to do it. This is where that service component comes in and having that relationship is to be able to one show hey this makes sense from your perspective you can put it into their eyes and show them why it makes sense well there's a lot of value behind it right from a yeah. broker's perspective you're protecting yourself on the way up right yeah and, and even even on the way down when the, when the market's coming down right you know you're you're with the market you don't have to worry about somebody coming in and underbidding you exactly. right and taking away your business and from a shipper's perspective it makes a lot of sense you, you actually gain stability mm-hmm. and people say well no the market goes up and down there's no stability in that yeah but you already don't have stability because you don't know when you're going to have to renegotiate and when 
when you're going to have to do a mini bid and all this other nonsense. Exactly. And right? how long do those processes take? And what is the cost of that process? Oh, that's the important. If you could put a dollar figure on that cost and removing that time constraint, it'll show where the value completely is. And I think that's the key is, and why it's so important and why, especially now, because I mean, you think about it right now we're in bid season. Yeah. And this RFP process. I mean, I was on a, a webinar last week and I think the average bid RFP brings in 20 carriers, right? Sure. Whether that's asset based or not, or brokers. How many people don't have access to freight? If you're only bringing in 20 carriers and there's what? 200,000 carriers and what? Another 18,000 brokerages? Like how many people are missing out on it, on these potential bids? But now it's still complicated, right? Getting involved. But if you can take that conversation, be like, Hey, I can guarantee you we'll provide the service. We just need to index link our contract. You'll never pay above. You'll pay this at the market rate. Uh -huh. And we'll provide the service regardless of how the market moves. We won't fall off. How much more likely do you think a shipper customer is to say yes? It seems pretty likely. And they have a lot to gain from it. Yeah. I, there's, to me, and my thought is, what's the downside risk from a shipper? The only downside, and this isn't even really a downside when you think about it, right, is... They want to play the market when it's like this? Well, no, I, I wouldn't even say they want to play the market when it's like this, but I would say, like, let, let, let's say I'm, I'm running a... You know, I run the logistics for, for a Fortune 500 CPG mm -hmm. company, right? CFO is like, how much are you going to spend this year on yeah. transportation, right? It's, I can't necessarily give them a definitive answer, but also right now you could also make the argument, the answer I give them right now anyway is based on it's hopes. It's not going to be wrong. It's based on no mini bids. It's based on hopes and dreams. It's also, not even that, it's also based on low, virtually no rejections because if a shipper is smart, what they'll do in their budgeting is they'll say, okay, they may only base it off of their, they're the the first the first carrier in the routing guide. Yeah, as you go through the routing fit? guide, you get more and more expensive, and then eventually you go to the spot market. So it removes all of that variability. So in the theory, it actually should be easier to budget. Exactly. But I think initially that will take a that's a that's a that's a mindset change. Yeah, it's being proactive in the market versus being reactive to the market. Yeah. And the issue is again. It goes into the cost perspective of running the RFP. Yeah. It's a painstakingly, it's a process that has been done the same way for however many years, right? I mean, for as long as any story I've heard, it's the same process. It's mm -hmm. all spreadsheets and emails. And there's freight tech companies out there trying to simplify that. But the easiest way to reduce all of that cost, because how much more efficient could you be if you didn't have to sit there and just run RFP after RFP? You should be able to optimize and become even more efficient and use your totally. human capital that you're, you're paying money to, to drive efficiencies outside of just running RFPs. And that's where I think the index link contract dynamic makes sense. Because again, the downside risk is whatever they base the contract off of, it could be if the market turns tomorrow, I think on the way up in 2020, it took 54 days from the market to go from rejection rates of sub, what were they, sub 2% to over 10%. 
54 days. So effectively, less than two month period, contract rates, any contract that went into effect during that period was out of date yeah. by the second it was implemented. That was probably bid on two months before that. Yeah. So your budget is thrown out of whack the second those contracts are out of date. And now it's all hands on deck to try to fix it. To try to fix it. And guess what? You're already, you're dealing with a, a volatile market in that instance that good luck fixing it because you're just going to have to fix it again a month later. And that's where you went into the midi bids. And again, they're time consuming. Very time consuming, very so. distracting. And to your point, you can never run a bid and have it be it's, it's never going to be accurate. It's, well, even that, but it's like any bid that you run, as soon as you publish it, it's out of date. Like a bids are guaranteed to be out yeah. of date. They're guaranteed to be out of date. Now you can hope that the market's not volatile afterwards and it might be somewhat representative, but until when? Yeah, eventually it changes. Yeah, eventually I think that's the key. We're in a cyclical market. It, it's, it, it's going to go up and it's going to come down. And yeah. if you're not moving with the market in a rapid pace, you're going to be left behind. All right, I want to change gears here for just a little bit. So we're going to talk about, so we, we so obviously index link contracts really help with the stability of the market, especially in markets that have been as volatile as we've seen over mm -hmm. the last five, six years now. Um, demand is on the rise a little bit, inching. It's, yep. it's stability and healthy growth, uh, but still too much capacity in the market. Let's go ahead and throw up our, our changes in uh, net revocation. So this will show us, yeah, there it is right there. Look at that. So this right here shows, you actually put this in the Daily Watch, uh, uh, I think last week. Yep. This shows how many new trucking authorities have entered or exited the market every year. I've got this average out. So in 2020, we saw about um, 600. 600. In 2021, we saw about 1,400 a week. And then in 2022, we saw about uh, 400 a week. And right now we're losing about 400 a week. Effectively, we're taking out the capacity we added in 2022. Right. We haven't even begun to sniff what we've added in 2020 or 2021. And right. I think that's the key is that... Now, there has been some volume growth, so we don't need to sniff all of it away. No. But also, the I get, the other thing, too, with this that I wonder is this index looks at the number of authorities. In theory, couldn't some authorities stick around, maybe remove some trucks? Yes. How yeah. often does that happen? Oh, I don't know. I'd have to go look. I mean... Follow what the big, follow what the big guys do, and look at what their tractor counts do. I think that's one way to do it, because they'll be the ones to really feel it. But yeah. I think what's interesting is they're probably less likely to shed the trucks as fast as some of the smaller ones. Especially they've been in business like 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 years. Years, yeah. It's like they. They know, they know what's up. Yeah, I mean, they've done it. And I think one of the interesting sides is you just see where the growth was in this, or not even in this. Go look at FMCSA's, like, tractor count growth, and it's all in the small fleet. That's where you add in an authority yeah. really easy. It, it's not one-to-one, -one, right? Yeah, you don't, nobody adds in a 500-truck authority. Yeah, they're not just going to go... Nobody opens up shop on a 500-truck fleet. Yeah. It's one, because right now, why would you? The cost of capital is so high with interest rates where they are. Like, getting the loan to do that is obscene. Yeah. But, like, if you don't understand the... I mean, you... A lot of the entrants have been in the business yeah. or they know somebody that was in the business and was making a killing and came in to try to do it. And they came in in 2022 when the market had started its downward move. So 
it's I think the way I phrased it last week, there's just too much capacity still in the still, morning. Still way too much. And Either demand has to go to the moon or capacity is going to have to continue to exit. Yeah, for a while. and there's just nothing on the horizon to suggest that demand's going to the moon, especially when you start looking at, uh, I mean, ocean bookings and things like that. They, they've again. just declined. I mean, they're declining. And I think yeah. that's the key is like, look what happens, look what's happening upstream because eventually that will bag. I mean, even if inventory levels here still high in, in certain places, right? Certain businesses have been able to shed inventory, but not everyone. If inventory levels are still high, we'll still move, like volume could grow while ocean bookings fall, right? Because right. we're moving things that are already here domestically. Also, nearshoring, things like that. When you add in what happens to Mexico, cross-border, things like that, not going to come on the ocean booking, right? But is it going to be enough to offset that at some point? And that's the question. It's, there's just nothing to suggest like this check mark in volume that this would need to see to basically be yeah. healthy. And I think that's the key is unless there was a check mark or a Nike swoosh going to the moon, the answer on the front to firm up the market is capacity has yeah. to leave. It definitely has to leave, and we're going to continue to observe. Now, one last thing we're going to talk about before we part ways. We only have a little bit of time left, so let's go ahead and throw up the chart the, uh, for Detroit, or excuse me, for the auto manufacturers. So this is wait times for the auto manufacturers. Um, hey, there it is. So this is measuring how long trucks are waiting at auto facilities, and I thought this was appropriate given the uh, strikes. Now, the strikes, uh, basically what this means is we, we've come up. We were at 95 minutes last week. Now we're at 109 minutes. Mm -hmm. A bit of an increase, but not out of the norm for the last year. Kind of right in the middle, actually, of yeah. the last year. So what pay this tells us is pay attention to it. Nothing to alarm yet, but just keep an eye on it. Yep. Um, but that's about all the time we have for today. We will see you all next week, 2 p.m. with Sonar. Have a good day.